Hello, and thanks for tuning in to The Corner on Character, where character speaks, a podcast in partnership with ProSign Design to spotlight passionate character champions who are walking the talk. I'm your host, Barbara Gruner, and today we are visiting with Evan Robb. Oh my goodness, a list of things. He is a principal, a speaker, a learner, an author. Evan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Barbara. Really a pleasure to be able to spend some time with you today. I always like the um, guests to just tell us a little bit about themselves. So can you share with us what brought you to today? Sure. The uh, And thanks. That's a great question. I have been in education, finishing up my 27th year right now. And uh, like many people, I think, who go into the field, it was not my intent when I was in college to go into education. It kind of hit me a little bit later in life. In fact, I went through college in hopes of pursuing a business career and actually went to grad school and earned an MBA. Uh, but then I decided that that, that wasn't for me. Uh, to my parents, disappointment a little bit because uh, uh, there was a lot of money to get me through the grad program. However, uh, no regrets. I decided to uh, pursue a teaching endorsement at that time and took a teaching job teaching civics. That was my first job, actually my first teaching job. And uh, did that in Culpeper, Virginia. Did that for just about a year because I had a commute and that was a horrible commute from where I live. It was about 88 miles from my door to the building. Oh, and uh, a, year, a year of that was more than enough. After that, I went to Clark County Public Schools and was a teacher there, became an administrator in a neighboring district. And now I am principal of the school where I was a teacher. And oh, I've been principal. Cool. Yeah, it's a little bit unusual. And but it, but it's nice, you know. I have really great memories of the building when I taught there, and have the opportunity now to work with a wonderful staff and create new memories for our building right now. And what grades do you work with? We are middle school, and we are just grades six, seven, and eight. And uh, this is a small building, about four hundred seventy-five students. When I was in a neighboring county prior to coming back to Clark County, uh, the school I was principal of was a junior high school, had about 1,300 students. And my preference is smaller schools because it's I have more opportunities to connect with parents and to connect with kids. And uh, for me, th- that proves to be the most enjoyable place for me to be. So I'm going to connect with something I read on your Twitter feed. When I was in the band, our band director, his motto was results, not excuses. And so I saw that you said to adopt a no excuses mindset. Can you um, unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I, I think it gets easy in not just in education, but in any profession to come up with an excuse on why something won't work. And I think it's a bad, it's kind of a bad hole to get into and, and people get into that mindset and uh, they use it as a reason to not make forward progress or to not make change. One of the things that, that I've learned as a principal is it is really important to, to model and to communicate a message that if something is important to you, you find a way to get it done. And that oftentimes means pushing excuses aside and focusing on possibilities versus reasons why something won't happen. You know, one of the things, and this is true in education, but it's true in every field, that you know if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to get the same result. And I don't like to uh, have excuses myself, and, and certainly don't encourage that from others to create excuses that allow things to continue as they once were over and over again, and it, you know, getting the same result. Although sometimes people believe that they're going to get a different result, but 
tends to not be that way. So then how does that complement or align with a redo is not a freebie? That a redo is not a freebie. Yeah. That's growth mindset, right? Yeah, it is growth mindset. And it, it also has to do with something that I think is really important in a building, which is preserving hope. Yes. Kid, kid, yeah, kids will not work hard if they don't have any hope. And and I, and actually, you know, adults are very much the same way. One of the things that I found is that most of the major tests or assessments that we take in life, whether it's the LSAT, the GREs, the SATs, driver's license tests, you know, they can be taken multiple times until they are a satisfactory score is earned. And I think the same thing is important for kids in school, that they need an opportunity to better themselves. And, you know, I like the, I like the message that not learning is not an option. Um, And when you don't allow redos, you actually allow kids an opportunity to not learn because they can take a zero or they can take a low grade and and not learn the material. So some people think redos is giving a freebie and making it easier for kids, but I would argue that it actually makes it a lot harder because it, if it coincides with an expectation that everyone uh, is going to learn in this building. So I like that. I'm going to repeat that. Not learning is not an option. Oh, what do you do with your unmotivated kids? Because I also saw that you said it's not necessarily about a check mark or a piece of candy to motivate these learners. No, I think the goal is to get kids to be motivated to learn versus point accumulation, you know, or or a check mark or or a piece of candy. I think one of the challenges in education today is that our grading system often gets kids very motivated on point accumulation or on a particular grade versus learning. And, you know, I see that at, you know, at all ends of the spectrum, but particularly with very, very academic kids who are highly concerned with making sure that they make an A. But at times uh, that creates a very safe path for them versus being more daring with their learning uh, out of fear of not making, not making that kind of grade. Right. And then the end goal ends up not being so much about where they're going as opposed to how they're going to be assessed once they get there? I think that that can happen um, at times in buildings, and it's something that educators need to be aware of and be be really careful about. You know, in my experience, I've worked with a lot of teachers on this. I don't think that people go about grading in a way to necessarily be punishing or detrimental to kids, but sometimes the methods that are used can be that way. Because a lot of times in my experience is that a lot of times educators grade based off of the way that they experienced grading when they were in school or, or the way that, you know, a mentor teacher helped them along the way. And, and sometimes that's okay, but that's not always best practice and not always in line with some of the more current research on grading. And so, you know, inadvertently it can have a negative effect. So you're a leader in a building and you've got a lot of people probably serving alongside of you. How can they tell what your why is? Well, that's a really good question. I, I, would, I would like to say that they could tell what my why is because there's a very high congruence between what I talk about, sometimes ad nauseum, and what my actions are. And I think that when there's congruency between what you believe and that your actions are consistent with what you believe, it becomes very easy for people to see what your why is. I think that people have a problem 
where people have a problem with that is the lack of congruency. So someone saying something, uh, maybe even saying it quite well, uh, but their actions are not in alignment with what they're saying. Um, then it becomes very hard for people to understand what someone's why is. But I can't say that when people get into that rut, uh, people tend to not believe what someone says. They they just believe what they do. Yeah. And how do you help those teachers find their why? I think the, you know, part of that is a, is a personal choice. And, you know, I can be someone who helps people grow and who helps people learn how to reflect and who helps people think about doing their job differently. But at some point, that decision becomes a personal decision you know, of the educator. One of the things that I'm a really big believer in is having a lot of professional development in my building that helps people reflect on their practice. Uh, at times, some feel affirmed in terms of what they're doing in the classroom and at times uh, learn to learn new ways to work with kids, um, whether whether that means working with them in terms of uh, behavior or working with them in terms of how how they're being instructed. And I think that when people are willing to be reflective and people are willing to see themselves as a learner, I think that leads people down a path of getting a much better idea of who they are and what they believe in. Can you share us with us what is one of your favorite recent PDs? Yeah, I can. I have, over the, over time, I've become less of a fan of kind of what I would call one and done PDs, and much more a fan of things that are that are ongoing. And I like to take a real yeah, you know, and I think that's it's definitely the best way for, I believe to do things. And you have to be a little bit creative because sometimes that can be expensive. But there are other ways to kind of coordinate and make it work. So I'll give you a really a simple example. One of the things that I found with PD is that the best way for me to approach that as a principal is through observations and lots of conversations with teachers within my building to make sure that we are charting a path that we believe as a staff is the direction that we need to go. So I think that things can go wrong when it's one person, let's just say the principal, who is inserting and driving everyone to experience a certain type of PE. Uh, teachers would can, in that case, be a lot like kids. They can be compliant, but it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't mean that they're going to they're they're going to learn, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be impactful. So my building decided. I notice I used the word my. It certainly wasn't me, uh, but our staff decided that we needed work on differentiating. Um, to our weakest learners and to our most able learners. And so I was in touch with a former college professor who was retired. And that person was willing to dedicate time to our building for a year. And we had seven different PD sessions with her throughout the year that were based off of our needs, where staff had wonderful collaborative opportunities during the PD and had things that they were going to work on after one particular PD session and then bring that back to the next. And so suddenly it becomes ongoing and focused to meet people's people's needs. I find that to be really, really effective. And that has had a really excellent impact in, in helping teachers in my building be even more effective than they've, they already have been. So when it's that effective and meaningful, it'll follow that it's sustainable? Yeah, I think that, you know, we're still going, working with this consultant. We'll probably do another year. 
But differentiating is a term just there. And there's certainly other ones that we could kind of brainstorm about in education that get tossed around a lot now um, in terms of the verbiage of pedagogy going on in schools. But it's given us an opportunity to look at lots of different strategies and different methods to differentiate curriculum and make sure that teachers are meeting the needs of learners in their classroom. You know, one of the classic problems with education that, that, that I feel and certainly I experienced is a, a one-size-fits-all sort of approach. Where, you know, I mean, and you may relate to this also, Barbara, but, you know, I know when I was in school, history class, for example, my teachers would lecture and everyone would take notes and every Friday everyone would take a test. And it tended to work pretty well for your kids who were strong auditory learners, but other kids, it, it didn't necessarily work well for them. And so I like to see education moving more towards uh, more personalization of learning to meet the needs of kids based off of where they are in terms of their, their ability to access the curriculum and also looking at uh, their learning style and, and different ways for them to interact with material. So do you get much pushback? Because you're talking now about things like what portfolios and genius hour and PSAs, you know, those sorts of things like your flip grids and your seesaws. Are you getting pushback or are teachers on board? Uh, in my building, teachers are, are absolutely on board. Uh, but that's been a process. You know, one of the advantages that I've had in my school is I've been a principal in my building for 14 years. So over time, some people have retired, and um, we've been able to make sure that we're replacing people with people who are very aligned with, with the mission and, and the vision of the building. And, and that's important because that minimizes people being either overtly resistant or, um, or kind of res resistant on the down low within the school. Uh, the other thing that I found is that most people that I've come into contact with in education want to do a good job. They want to feel good about what they do and they want to make sure that they're being impactful with their teaching. And so I think there's a process of raising awareness that sometimes what, what someone may hold near and dear or what someone may have really fond memories on in terms of their reflection on their experience when they were in education, it may not necessarily be what the kids in front of them need. Right. So you don't want to be teaching to yesterday no i think we need to teach kids for for their future you know and that's something that's been said for a long time I mean, john dewey made those statements but uh, the world is changing very very quick it, it's very hard for anyone to figure what the world will look like for middle school students when they're 20 or 25 years old but i think there, ha there are interesting conversations about some of the skills that we think kids need to have you know they have to do with uh, again something that that gets categorized a lot now as 21st century skills, but they're really important. So focusing on developing collaboration with kids, communication, creativity, problem solving, uh, those sort of skills are going to become very, very important. They are typically, and I'll just speak for myself, but learning those skills was not found in the type of teaching that I experienced when I, when I was in middle school. Yes, no, us either. Yeah, okay. so I think it's, yeah, no, but I think it's important to get people focused on, okay, what do kids need as they move into the future, and how does your dynamic need to be different in order to help kids get ready for that? So you said you like to help people grow, and I know one way you've done that is being an author. You've got, uh, what, two books, 
help us out with what's going on in your journey as a writer to help share what you know. Well, I, I really, I've come to really enjoy writing and, and interesting enough, and you talked a little bit about growth mindset at, at the beginning of our chat here today. I was not a good writer when, when I was in school and writing is something that I needed to work on well into my adult years to get to the point that I felt uh, like I could be reasonably competent at it. And by no means do I experience, do I consider myself a great writer. You know, I'm not a threat to anyone who is writing the next great, the next great American novel. Um, but I do feel like I, I've gotten to a place that, that I have things that I need to say, and I'm getting reasonably good at putting those words down in writing for people. So I have a book coming out with Corwin at the end of May called The 10-Minute Principle. Uh, and in collaboration with my mother, Laura Rob, we actually have two books that are coming out. With Dave Burgess Publishing, we have a book coming out in June called Making Star Pudding. And with Benchmark Publishing, Laura and I tackle something that we're extremely passionate about, which is reading, reading instruction and independent reading in schools. And we're writing a book called A School Full of Readers, and that should be published in the fall of 2019. So I have three things coming out. I'm really excited. Well, congratulations. That's so amazing. Let's go back to that middle title. Did you say Making Star Pudding? (laughs) Yeah, I did. Can you uh, explain or is that just a tease and we can't know yet? (laughs) No, no, no. It's it's not a tease. You know, the, the, the book is born out of learning to think differently and incorporating uh, dreamscaping and wonder into looking at the dynamic of education today and what needs to happen as we better prepare our kids for the future. You know, Laura and I are big believers that things need to become different if we're going to get kids ready for a world that's radically different and, and changing very, very fast. So the book looks at communication and how people communicate how people collaborate, and how people think and dream about what education can look like and what it can be. So that might speak to the question at the top of your Twitter page, what is your plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Oh, you noticed that. Thank I you. I did. Very much. Is, that, is that an Evan Robb original? No, no, no. That's <laughs> actually from a poet uh, named Mary Oliver. Um, and, I, you know, it's an, it's, an important, it's an important message, and I put it up there for a reason, because I am very into, and I, want, I certainly want to surround myself with people who want to live their lives with purpose. And, you know, part of getting older and, and for me, you know, has been the death of my father and, and people that I've known as I've been growing up. And it makes you reflect and realize that life is precious and time is limited. And, uh, and I think it's important for me to reflect. And I think it's important for other people to reflect on, you know, what do you want to do? One of the things that, that I like to share with my staff is there are three teachers that all of us can reflect on as we look back on our schooling when, when we were kids, and, and they each sit in a particular chair. One group of teachers are, are teachers that we hated, and we all have some people, unfortunately, that, that sit in that chair as we reflect back on our lives, people who didn't believe in us, people who saw us as less than, and people who we do not have good memories about. Then there are other people who fade away, 
as we get older, time separates us more and more from elementary, middle, and high school. And some people who didn't impact us one way or another don't even remember their names anymore. But there are always some people who had an incredible impact on your life. And those are the teachers that you remember because they saw something in you that others might not have seen, and they had a role in changing your pathway to change your trajectory. And so the quote resonates with me and reminds me that, you know, I want to be the person in, in that third seat and I want to inspire other people to want to be the same. Oh my gosh, the three chairs. I don't know that I've ever heard it put like that, but I totally want to be in that chair with you. I totally, yes, because we're hope dealers and we're talking about purpose and collaboration and affirmation and and all that is good in this world. And, and if the positive doesn't drown out the negative, then we're doomed. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we are. And, and that brings up an interesting point also, which is, uh, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, you choose your mindset and being positive and positivity is a choice. Uh, the opposite, I believe, is a choice also. And, uh, I, you know, I'm certainly committed to making sure that every day I'm, I'm being positive and I'm seeing the positive. And I think it's a really important responsibility with leadership because no one wants to be around a principal who's miserable and negative. You know, people want to be around uh, someone in a leadership position who's excited and passionate and and sees possibilities in things now and into the future. What do you think about the mindset that everybody is replaceable? I think, you know, that's a really good question. I think people who are average tend to be highly replaceable. But people who are really, really good at what they do are not that replaceable at all. And, uh, and, you know, and that's a big challenge in, in education. You know, I had an interesting conversation with my mother today and it was, it was kind of this scenario of, you, you know, if you have a school that's really, really struggling and you put two principals into that building, one who's, you know, just really struggling with the job, but the other principal is one of the best principals in America. Um, you know, what's going to happen? And I would argue that if you if you have someone who's that good, they're probably going to have lots of strategies to help change the dynamic. That person is not that replaceable. The other person is. And I think one of the things that I encourage teachers and people involved in education is, you know, make yourself irreplaceable by making yourself really, really good at what you do. Oh, I like that. Make yourself irreplaceable. Earn that seat in that third chair, right? Absolutely. You know, that's a choice that everyone can make every day when they get out of bed and, and, and they come into work. That spot is available if someone wants it. I love that. Okay, self-care. It's time for self-care because you're doing a lot for others. And um, how are you taking care of you? Yeah, this has been an incredibly busy year for me between speaking and um, and doing a lot of writing. You know, and it's hard. You know, I don't have any great formula for that. I mean, I certainly do the best that I can to make sure that I'm keeping healthy, eating healthy and exercising. You know, I'm not good uh, to the kids in my building, uh, to my community and to the teachers in my building if I'm not able to be at work and if I'm not able to be at work in, in a positive way that helps influence things um, 
you know, for, for the better. So I guess what I would say is I am aware that self-care is very important. It probably is something that I need to continue to work on because balance is tough. And one of the things that's challenging with leadership positions is you give, you know, you, not just physically, but like metaphorically, you know, you're always giving to other people. And sometimes uh, you got to understand that you need to give to yourself also. Uh, and that could be time or that could be time with family or it could be time to exercise, to work on your health and well-being also. So it's very important. But that's an area that I'll, I'll work on doing a little bit better this coming year. So that might be your area of self-improvement. <laughs> I, think, I think I could set a good goal there. So how can, besides getting your book, people connect with you, follow you, grow alongside of you? Um, you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at Erob Principal, and I really enjoy my um, my PLN that I'm connected with on Twitter. It's been absolutely life-changing for me to meet so many really wonderful educators and have an opportunity to interact and, and share ideas. I'm also on Facebook at Erob Principal, and uh, try to put some good information up on Facebook. And uh, I'd also encourage people to check out my blog, which is the robreviewblog.com. My mother and I each write submissions to, to the Rob Review, and we also have lots of guest authors who contribute to our blog also. And if you go to the blog, you can sign up for it and get some free emails about things that are coming up and things of that nature. We try to share information that way. I think that's incredible that you have an opportunity to work side by side with your mom like that. Yeah, it's really unusual. And, and, and it's actually wonderful. I'm fortunate that she lives right around the block from my wife and I. So we get to collaborate a lot and spend a lot of time working together. And, and it's been a good experience. I will add as my funny aside this afternoon that my mother was also my fifth grade teacher when I was, oh. yeah, it was not a real positive experience. Uh, as I reflect back on it, it was uh, very challenging. I had a hard time making a B in that class, but, funny. but I am really lucky now to have such a wonderful um, mother, but also such a great professional partner uh, to work with and to collaborate with. My boys actually went through the school where I was the school counselor, and sometimes that was tough, too, because they'd get in a scrap, and then they'd send them to me. <laughs> and I didn't always have the same strategies and skills. I don't know, grace, I don't know what it is, but I didn't, you know, you, you hold your kids to a different standard. And so tell your mom I get it. <laughs> I will absolutely do that. <laughs> have we missed anything before we sign off, Evan? Um. No, I think I, I love the questions that, that you've asked me today. And, uh, you know, I've really appreciated the opportunity to share some things that, that are important to me. And, uh, and, and any opportunity that I can have to share a very simple message that, you know, education needs to change because the world that we're getting kids ready for needs to change. But that doesn't need to be something that is fearful. It can be something that's really exciting, uh, invigorating. And wonderful. All of that depends on uh, the choices and the mindsets of us as individuals. Well, I want to thank you for your passion, for your purpose, and for your peace. I also want to thank you because today we did have some techno challenges and your flexibility and your grace through all of that. Those were gifts to me. Well, I thank you very much. I've really enjoyed the opportunity to have a conversation with you. 
I appreciate you carving out time to meet me at the Corner on Character podcast that's supported by ProSign Design, a family-owned business dedicated to character, safety, and organization. If you're looking to spiff up your character building, they've got some beautiful banners. Check them out at ProSignDesignCo.com. And then join us again next week for more about character education, connections, and life. Until then, remember that character speaks.